Chapter 12. The Healing Power of Forgiveness Not every Christian belongs or would care to belong to a church that makes use of the confessional. Fortunately, the confessional is not the only way of receiving the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. For instance, I once talked to a discouraged young man in an army hospital. His back was broken, and apparently his spirit was broken too, for I found him very big-eyed and sad in a psychopathic ward. I tried to tell him of the life that could mend his broken back. You know, doctors tell you that nature makes you well, I said. Well, what is nature? It's God's life in you, isn't it? I guess so, he murmured dubiously. And I tried to explain to him how to renew a sort of spiritual blood transfusion in his body. But I think that's contrary to my religion, he objected. I'm a Roman Catholic. Then it's not contrary to your religion at all, I replied. It's just exactly what your church teaches you. Don't they teach you that our Lord sends his real life into the elements of the blessed sacrament? Yes, he murmured, brightening. Well, if that real presence is his body and blood, doesn't it include his bones? And can't you receive it in your backbone? Why, sure. I hadn't thought of that, but, but sure. Then I'll pray for you to receive it in just that way. And I'll ask my friends, the sisters, to pray for you every morning at the Mass. And that life will go from the Mass right through their prayers into your spine. You'll see. So I left him very happy. And to the sacramental method I added, unknown to him, my own method. I was very sure that he would receive life through the Mass because he believed that he would. But I also practiced seeing his spine well and perfect and shining with that life. Six weeks later, I looked for the depressed young man in his bed and did not find him. But I heard his voice upraised in merriment, so I pursued him into the main ward. There he was, mopping the floor, cast and all, and shouting at the top of his lungs to everybody. He put down the mop when he saw me and led me into the ward kitchen, where he offered me a glass of milk, as if he were the gray lady and I were the wounded soldier. These doctors here, they burn me up, he stated. I didn't ask to come into this hospital. They pick me off a battlefield, see, and carry me into a hospital and say I have a broken back. And there I've been ever since, one hospital after another. Now what do they say? They take another x-ray, see, and they say, well, did you break your back or didn't you? Gosh, do they burn me up. Don't you remember that we asked the body of our Lord to go into your back and mend it? Yep. Well, he did, that's all. And you can't blame the doctors for not understanding that. Some of us are able to receive forgiveness and its resultant healing through that powerful combination, the confessional followed by the communion service. Some of us can make use of the communion service and not of the confessional. Some of us belong to a church that makes little or no use of either. But the principles that underlie these sacramental methods can be retranslated to meet the needs of everyone. 
I worked out a practical method, which can, with slight modifications, be used by anyone. Those of us who use this method to try from Sunday morning to Friday to live as heirs of God's power, doing His works and thinking His thoughts, then on Friday or Saturday, we leave the heights and come down into the depths of our being. We ask God's Spirit to come into us and guide our memory. Then we look back over the week and write down every sin that comes into our minds. This is not so difficult as one would think. For God, it is very merciful, and He guides us in what we remember. He does not show us at one time all the faults and failings in our subconsciousness. He shows us only those wrong deeds or unworthy thoughts that He wants us at that time to correct. Having seen our faults, we then ask Him what He wants us to do about them. The Bible tells us, if we have defrauded any man to restore it fourfold, so the least we can do if we have shortchanged anyone or cheated anyone, either in physical or in spiritual matters, is to restore it. If we have cheated anyone or underpaid anyone, we should make it up to them in cash. If we have lied, we should apologize for the lie and correct it. If we have spoken rudely or unkindly to anyone, we should say that we are sorry. But, but that is ridiculous, we are apt to think. Those who are such trifling faults. Yep, yes, and so for that very reason they keep God out. For He is not trifling. He is not petty. And every petty sin keeps out some of His love. For it comes back to one simple fact. Sin separates us from God. In fact, sin is separation from God, and we must then seek His forgiveness, set free through Jesus Christ, to set us free from these sins. It is like seeing in our minds a beautiful picture and painting it and then examining it when the glow of inspiration has faded out in order to see its mistakes and correct them. First we create, then we look at the created thing to see if it is good then we correct those things that can be improved. Even God checked up on his creative work at regular intervals. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There will be some things on our list that we cannot correct by our own efforts. Gossip, once started, cannot be stopped. Lost opportunities for kindness and helpfulness cannot be regained. Hate or wrongly directed love cannot be atoned for by apology. There is nothing we can do then to take out of our minds the sting of these things. But there is one who can do it for us, and he is willing to do so on one condition, which is that we accomplish an act of repentance for them. Then let us this one day learn to repent. It begins with being sorry for our sins, but it ends with joy, because it ends with a changed life. So let us come to Him, literally upon our knees, and think of His great act of self-giving. Let us tell Him how unworthy we are of such great love, and how grateful we are for it. Let us tell Him also that we do not really understand the need for Calvary, and ask Him to help us understand it. 
We cannot fully comprehend the atonement, but we do know that he loved us. Let us ask him then to send this love into the very depth of our subconscious minds and there wipe out the thought impressions of our sin. Then, let us go to church on Sunday and give thanks to him, publicly and in cooperation with our fellow men, for the healing and cleansing power of his love. If we are not accustomed to going to church, or if we do not admire the minister, then our going will be all the more effective. It will be an act of real courtesy that we do for him in return for his great courtesy to us. To end this act of repentance and of the acceptance of forgiveness at a definite time, such as the time of church-going, it is a very important thing. If we do not do so, we may fall into a permanent habit of self-condemnation, and nothing can be more unhealthy than that. Whether one has access to the confessional or not, one can still find forgiveness in the church service. One can receive his forgiveness in silent prayer and express one's gratitude for it aloud in hymns. And if one wants to make doubly sure that he will really receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in this way, he can ask a spiritual friend to pray for it to happen. There was a young man for whom I had prayed many times. He had been brought back from the doors of death by prayers for healing. And in due time, the prayers for healing began in him a work of righteousness. Come quick, cried his wife, running into my house. Danny feels terrible. What's the matter? Another attack? No, no, it isn't that. I don't know what it is, but he feels terrible. I found Danny in tears. It's those thoughts, he said. You don't know what a bad guy I've been. And now when I try to pray, those awful thoughts just go around and around in my head, and I can't stop them. I think I'm going nuts. I told him that Jesus Christ could stop those thoughts and put good thoughts in his mind instead. That was, I told him, the forgiveness of sins. And we would pray for it together, just as we had prayed together for healing. So I put my hands on his head. The better to transfer the power that forgives and heals, and prayed for the love of Christ to reach him through me. In the name of Jesus Christ, I commanded those thoughts to stop. Finally, I stated through faith in the redemption of Jesus Christ that I knew that his sins were forgiven. Thus, Danny made a confession, and I pronounced the absolution through neither, though neither one of us had the least idea what we were doing. It worked. But as weeks passed, the thoughts gradually crept back into his mind again. This time, I tried a different method. I suggested that he read over the communion service very carefully, and that he do just what the prayer book said to do, and that he go to church on Sunday morning, especially to receive the complete forgiveness of his sins. And I told him that I would be there praying for him at that time. We kept this assignment with the Lord. He returned from the altar bathed in tears, but a new man. And in spite of many ups and downs, he has been a new man ever since. One more question occurs to me in regard to this matter of confession and repentance. If it worked such wonders with me, why does it not work with equal power for everyone? 
Why does not everyone who goes to the confessional receive there a healing of body as well as of soul? Why does not every Christian who repents on his knees show forth the results in a life of power? For the same reason that every Christian who believes in God does not receive healing. Lack of faith. They believe that Jesus Christ can forgive sins, yes, but to believe that he can heal them of a hot temper so that they will be gentle in disposition, to believe that he can change the hate of husband or wife into love, to believe that he can remove from them the craving for drink, this is a different matter. Not only do most people lack this faith, but they lack the technique for learning it. They do not know how to rise from an attitude of repentance into an attitude of the joyful acceptance of forgiveness. They remain in a state of self-condemnation, a most unhealthy attitude. The swing up into joy and power is as important as the swing down into repentance. To announce oneself a miserable sinner once a Sunday is excellent if one recognizes oneself as a joyful saint immediately afterwards and strives throughout the week to do the work of the Lord. It is very difficult to set free the healing power of God in another while in a state of repentance for one's own sins. The mind turned in on itself cannot sufficiently vision wholeness and light in the patient. I have found only one way of praying for another with real power while accomplishing an act of repentance. This is the ancient method of reparation wherein one makes available the sacrificial love of Christ for another by assuming his sins and doing penance for them. But while powerful, this is a costly and difficult method and one beset with many dangers. Moreover, the time element alone forbids in it being generally used. A note at the bottom. This method of healing is both taught and illustrated in my novel, Lost Shepherd. One must be very careful in using these two methods of prayer, the way of affirmation and power, and the way of repentance and humility, to make a clean swing back and forth from one to the other. It is quite impossible to think of both ways at the same time, and we are not intended to do so. He who knew the mind of man provided two ways as a balance for each other. There was a man who said he had to give up being a Christian scientist because he got tired of being so damn happy the whole time. The more intensely we think after one pattern, the more surely we get tired of it the more definitely we need to drop it now and then and think after a different pattern. Our minds are made that way. Even our bodies are made that way. We do not sleep all the time, and we do not thirst all the time. Even nature does not demonstrate continually after one pattern. There is summer and winter, day and night, full moon and dark of the moon, high tide and low tide, wind and calm. There is the swing of the sun and moon in their courses, and of the planets and of all the stars. For the law of rhythm, of balance, holds throughout the universe. 
Blessed is he, therefore, who undergoes periods of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and rejoices at other times in being filled.